1: You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being here, choosing this podcast. Uh, there's a lot of other podcasts out there, and uh, if you're here for J.K. Simmons, I hope if you like the podcast, you know this is a little podcast. We talk about real stuff. It's not celebrity bullshit. It's we get into mental health, Ryan. We get you into- do.
2: It's a little bit of celebrity bullshit just to start, and then you we start get-
1: with it, but then you got to get in. You can't just jump in with real serious shit. You got to dip your toes in yeah and uh i hope you like the show and if you do subscribe if you like the interview if, if you like me I, uh, chances are i don't know what you're gonna like but i hope you'll follow us at inside of you podcast on the uh instagram and facebook at inside of you pod on the twitter and you could uh watch on youtube subscribe there write a review apple wherever you want it really helps the podcast great guest today man this is this is a legend legend um what an actor sometimes you have these guys on that you're like oh my gosh he came on the podcast and that's JK Simmons and uh boy did we talk about everything he was really uh open Mm -hmm. open about his life um open about you know his brother comes on later in the podcast David David Simmons very brave brave soul who uh, attempted suicide twice and they came up with this uh, amazing organization, the UBU Project. And I was like, what does it stand for? But it's actually UBU. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's uh the prevention of youth suicide, addiction, and bullying through social, emotional, performing arts, integration residencies. Look, there's a concert coming up Saturday, January 28th, 7:30 p.m. at Scottsdale Desert Stages Theater. And uh please head there or donate go to ubuproject.org for more information it's a wonderful podcast also look thank you for watching talkville uh and supporting that podcast with me and tom welling or rewatch smallville uh podcast but don't forget this little podcast here um Patreon.com slash inside of you. Join Patreon, support the podcast. Without my patrons, I couldn't do it. There's all sorts of prizes and things and, uh, you know, connections and and packages I send to top tier patrons and support the podcast if you like. Uh, a little extra something wouldn't hurt. Hopefully it won't hurt. Patreon.com slash inside of you. And we need you. Also, if you want to uh, look at the Inside You online store, you can go there. There's autographed Smallville stuff, scripts, Lexima scripts, and lunchboxes, and Inside You merch, and also my band, Sunspin, guys. We just came out with our new album. I have to promote it. Sunspin.com. You can go to merch, CDs, autographs, Zooms. Go streaming. Follow us on the streaming platforms. Just go to Sunspin. The new album is never is what it is. There's uh, another album from last year that we did really proud of it. And there's no other way to promote it than to promote to you guys. Um, you know, it's not like I'm a big rock star here and I can get millions of people to listen to the album. We're proud of it. I hope you listen to it. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can get merch there or, uh, we're doing a stage at show. And that Stage It show is this weekend, Saturday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Me and Rob and and another special guest, we are going to sing songs from the album and some covers, and it's a blast. We'll call your names out as we see them on the screen. And uh, go to stageit.com, type in Sunspin for the 5 o'clock show next Saturday, or you can go to sunspin.com and get tickets. But really, we'd appreciate your... If you've never listened to a show, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, I'm very proud of it. And I believe... Uh, that's it. I believe that's all. Why don't we do it? Why don't we just jump into one of the greats? Uh, let's get inside of J.K. Simmons. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. J.K., how are you?
3: uh i am fine how are you
1: i'm good you know we met at the uh uh it was the the benefit for the australia uh you know the, the thing they had for the brush fires like a couple years yeah. ago and we talked and i told you my paul giamatti story about how he walked in on me at a hotel when i was with my girlfriend on the bed and some right. do you remember that
3: yeah uh, giamatti apparently he does that all the time <laughs> he just walks in it's on like, people while they're yeah it's like a thing with him <laughs> <laughs>
1: it was amazing because i remember he walked in and i don't know why they gave him a key to my room it was an accident but he goes oh 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 I'm, I'm, oh wow well i'm sorry I'm, and he just he just left and, and the next day i saw him he was doing an interview and we locked eyes and he looked at me he goes oh my god oh my god and he ran up to me he goes this is the best story can i tell this story i'm like yeah of course you could tell this story it was uh, it was pretty good but uh listen i'm good friends with jason reitman as i know you are and uh, Jason, I said, hey, I'm interviewing JK. You want to say anything? And he just said, he texts me, he says, I love JK. I absolutely love this man. He clearly is the connective tissue between all my movies. He stands for a kind of craft that almost doesn't exist anymore. A sheer unparalleled level of talent matched with a work ethic you cannot find in almost any other performer. The ability to be unrelentingly terrifying and in the next moment, completely tender. One of the luckiest moments of my career was meeting him on thank you for smoke.
3: Well, I mean, that's uh, you know, that's goosebumpy kind of praise coming from, uh, <laughs> Jason. And, uh, you know, that, that meeting on, um, on thank you for smoking almost did not happen because it mostly because I'm so clueless about show business in general. Um, I mean, I had read the script. I was going into audition for Jason back in, back in the auditioning days. Oh yes. I missed it. And, days. uh, and um had to schlep all the way out to Santa Monica from my place in the hills and the, the kids are in elementary school and you know things are very uh busy at home and and I slept out there to the casting director's office parked my car plugged the meter you know get the get the uh into the office and I'm waiting and as usual you know you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and uh, my parking meter is almost expired and I'm thinking you know what I mean maybe I just get in the car and go back home because the kids are about to get out of school. I can go pick them up, you know, and I'm, and I'm at the parking meter at my car deciding whether I'm going to plug the meter or just say, screw this audition. You know, it's just another audition. And, uh, and this young guy comes up and he goes, Oh, JK, JK. Why are you?" And I, when I was, you know, at that time in my life, it was still somewhat surprising when somebody would encounter me on the street and know my name. Uh, so great to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And I, sort of reached out and shook this guy's hand. And it was clear to him the way I stared at him. I had no idea who he was. He goes, I'm I'm Jason. I'm Jason Reitman. I'm so sorry I'm late. And, da, 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 and you know, come on in. Let's let's, you know, let's do this thing. And, you know, I semi reluctantly went. Yeah, OK. All right. Went in, <laughs> had a little chat with Jason. And uh, the rest, obviously, is history.
1: You actually auditioned that day?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he he confessed that he basically had me in mind, you know, from very early on to play br in thank you for smoking and uh, his one concern i, I think at, at the audition was he said listen i i i'm a big fan of yours i would love to work with you and have you play this part he said my concern is you're so well known for the spider-man i think both the first two spider-man movies were out by then maybe all three and um he said and here you are playing another sort of you know blustery boss he said uh, you know how can we kind of avoid those inevitable comparisons. And I, like a smart-ass, dumbass, said, uh, I don't know. I mean, I could not have a flat-top wig and smoke a cigar. <laughs> and, uh, and he went, yeah, okay. I, I, I guess we'll be good.
1: I mean, do you find it, because I find it when you audition for something and you start this banter back and forth and it's fun and you're, like, talking, it's almost hard to then get into the audition because you're so – I mean, how do you transition into let's do the work here from, Hey, how's it going? All right. Okay. Let's do this. Would you rather just yeah. not say a damn word and just, just go into it?
3: Well, yeah. And, and of course, you know, the first 30 years of my career, that's what happened. I was guy number 97 being ushered into the room and like, here's your name and they find the resume and they go ready, go. And you do the thing. So you didn't, you know, cause they didn't give a damn about who you were. Right. Um, it, 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 was an awkward transition to that point where they, they, you know, they have to, uh, 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 you know, your agent has said now he's done this and this and this. So you have to treat him with this level of, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and those, those first many, many, you know, dozens or hundreds of little lighthearted conversations with directors were, were really the hardest acting there was because you're just trying to act like you're cool and relaxed. And, and, you know, in fact, you're just, as nervous as you were at those cattle calls on West 46th street, uh, you know, where you stood in the snow for four hours before the audition in New York, um, it was quite the transition. And now, you know, to be, to be in a position where, you know, I'm, I'm so fortunate to not need a job. Um, you know, those kinds of meetings are, are genuinely all about like, are we on the same page? Obviously I wouldn't be here if I didn't like the material, you know, do we want to go about it in ways that uh, not not necessarily exactly the same way, but, you know, can we can we uh, collaborate on this effectively and, and not just get along, but, you know, have a, a, a vision that uh, that or visions that that merge or at least overlap?
1: Do you still get nervous? First of all, do you even audition anymore? I, I would assume you don't, but. Do you still ever have to? And if you do, do you still get nervous or in first days on set when you first deliver those first lines or is there nerves or
3: are you just pass that? I don't I don't audition anymore. There there still are those those meetings with directors that uh, uh, that sometimes now are are uh, suggested by me uh, because I read something that's interesting. But I but I want to make sure, you know, that we're on the same page. Um Yeah, the nerves. I mean, that that first day of school thing really never goes away or never has for me. Um, There's there's always that, uh, you know, I I don't know if it's uh, uh, nerves uh, uh, so much as just, you know, I guess a little butterflies, a little a little kind of, uh, you know, excitement about, um, you know, I'm shooting something right now down in Atlanta and working with people that i hadn't worked with before and you know especially when it's you know it's a big movie star you haven't worked with before um you know you yeah. show up on set the first day and there's always that uh, you know as there always will be i guess <laughs> at least at least for me that kind of uh, um you know uh, childlike naivete about um oh yeah i've seen you in the movies you know you're a big star <laughs> i do that too yeah yeah
1: absolutely check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit discover bank member fdic inside of you is brought to you by shopify you've heard me talk about shopify it's because i use shopify I love it. It's so easy to use. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Why it's so easy is when I want to add a product, you just go to your Shopify page, and under products, you hit products, it says add a product. And then you go in there and you add a picture of your product, which is self-explanatory right there, a little description, how much it weighs, how many of the item you have, and you're ready for business. It's so easy. And I say that because I can do it. And the analytics are easy to see what your best selling product is and uh, you know what's not selling so you don't reorder things that aren't working. And it's just so easy to use, and I uh, I really dig it.
2: Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered.
1: Yeah, I sell T-shirts and, and tumblers and scripts and whatever you want to sell. It doesn't matter. You can do it on Shopify. Once you start selling, Shopify makes getting paid simple by instantly accepting every type of payment. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic,
2: your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that
1: grow... Grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Oh, look, we're going to get into, which is, in my opinion, the most important part of this uh, podcast when your brother David Simmons comes out and yeah. uh, benefiting the UBU project to prevent you suicide addiction and bullying it's the second annual light your corner of the world uh, with JK Simmons and David Simmons who is the UBU founder and uh, that's Saturday January 28th at seven thirty in the Desert Stages Theater in Scottsdale Arizona and that we're going to get him to talk about that because on this podcast, we, we it's not just celebrity talk. I like to open up about you know mental health and what we deal with as human beings, and I think why people still listen to the podcast is because they want to hear stories and, and and realize that you know even J.K. Simmons, he's he's a human being. He he has dealt with rejection and anxiety or maybe depression or whatever it is, mental health. And obviously, your brother knows a lot about that as well as you do. So um, we'll get into that. But you know, I look at your career and I'm just like. You know, people don't look at the struggles. They don't, they don't, they don't understand how hard it can be. Some people, you know, I've worked with people who they were an overnight success that uh, just immediately, Oh my God. And he's a star. And I'm one of those who've just kind of like, and I'm not a star, but I'm, you know, I'm, it's one of those things where I did something that was okay. And then something that was shit and something that was pretty good. And then shit, then, Oh, that was good. Then it's kind of been like that it's fluctuated, but you've really gone through it. And, and you look at your, your resume and I'm like over 200 films and you, you know, you got Academy award and a British Academy award, and all these things. Um, but you, you struggled and I know that you've talked about this a lot, but I think it's, it's interesting to hear because how many times as a young actor, did you think, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something else? I'll, I'll be a teacher. I'll follow in my father's footsteps. I'll be a musical director. Were there those thoughts a lot, or did they never occur to you?
3: Well, there there would have been more of those thoughts. First of all, I hesitate to use, uh, with regard to myself, to use the word struggle, because you know, even in those early days where where I was, uh, you know, not getting acting work or or sporadically getting acting work. Um, you know, I was okay. I was just a single idiot, you know, and all I needed was a slice of pizza and a friend's couch in Hell's Kitchen, and and that's what I had a lot of the time. And I and I had friends, and I, you know, I had you know, you know, the capability to go out and wait tables. I wasn't very good at it, but um, you know, I was I was fine. Um, You know, to me, a struggle is a you know, a single mom, you know, working two jobs and trying to be there for her kids, you know, or or a you know whatever, a soldier in a trench somewhere. Um, uh, those, are, those are the, the real struggles. Um, having said that, the, the, the difficult you know, times that I had trying to get a career going, I think if I genuinely had another truly viable skill set that I could have gone to, I, I might have done that, you know, when I was uh, here in New York in the early 80s. Um, not not finding acting jobs. And, and one time in particular, I remember not even, you know, I was back in town after having done a regional theater job uh, in somewhere, Buffalo or Cleveland or whatever it was, and uh, not getting a job, not getting a job, uh, not even getting much in the way of auditions. And then I, you know, hit the streets looking for jobs, waiting tables. Couldn't even get that. I mean, there was, it was like nobody was hiring, you know, Anywhere, and I'm walking up and down every street in uh, in Hell's Kitchen and Theater District, and uh, complaining to my friend Greg Edelman, uh, who's a, a you know Broadway guy here in New York, and, and has done a lot of film and TV as well. And um, you know, we're just he brought over the six pack, and we're hanging out, and he's listening to me, you know, whine about uh, how tough things are. And the next morning, the phone rings, wakes me up. I, I go out to, you know, look at the uh, answering machine and Greg left two $20 bills under my uh, telephone, oh, which was, man. I mean, that's, that's a solid week of, of pizza at, at that time. Uh, so uh, wow. it was, it was those kinds of little, little acts of kindness from friends that I, uh, that I look back on fondly and that I remember the most from, from that time.
1: You know, I think we all have egos. I think you have to have some sort of ego to be in this business, to have this, I'm good. Look at me. I want the attention. We all have that. No matter some people will say, no, no, I just do. It if I don't care about everybody else. And I think it's kind of bullshit, but you know, the ego thing, was there at an early age when you're in New York struggling and doing all these things, was there ever a big party that was like, how do they not see how fucking good I am?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know if I would phrase it exactly that way, but, you know, I mean, by the time I got to New York, I had done, you know, I'd started doing summer theater in Montana when I was in college at the Big Fork Summer Playhouse in Big Fork, Montana. Everybody go there. Um, (laughs) My brother and I both worked there. Um, and then I, I spent a few years in Seattle uh, after graduating with my music degree, not knowing what I was going to do. You know, I, I still at that point thought maybe I have it in me to be an opera singer. Um, but I just kind of auditioned for, for whatever came along. And I ended up being able to do a, a, a pretty nice variety of things. I was doing straight plays and musicals and playing the leading man and playing a wacky character part and, and, and really not being typecast as anything. Right. And then I get to New York and I'm going to these cattle calls for like a leading man role. And everybody in the, in the line looks like Robert Redford. And I'm just kind of this guy who's just starting to admit that he's losing his hair. And then I go to a, you know, a cattle call for some character part and and everybody in line looks like Marty Feldman and they're all, you know, <laughs> hilarious. And, and, and I'm like, where do I fit? How, how do I find work? And, and uh, fortunately, you know, I uh, Had a few casting directors in New York in those early days, uh, Alan Felderman, Jay Bender, uh, particularly those two guys who uh, who saw me as a versatile guy and saw me in in, in, uh, in different ways, and, and I was able to do all through my regional career, and and you know I hope it's continued into uh, my film and television career, as Jason Reitman alluded to, you know, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. to be able to uh, to have opportunities to uh, show different aspects of. Uh, of myself different characters, different, uh, different, uh, aspects of the human condition that we're all here trying to sort of shed some light on. And sometimes with humor.
1: Yeah. Did you, did you, uh, have a good childhood where your parents very supportive of you loving unconditional love proud of you? I didn't really get that. So I always ask people this question because I'm curious as to how it was in their childhood and how they grew
3: up. Uh, yeah, well, never ask a question you don't know the answer to, <laughs> right? Isn't that what they tell the, yeah. the lawyers and the, uh, <laughs> the interrogators? Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, my brother and sister and I absolutely did. Uh, our, our parents uh, were I- incredibly supportive of, of whatever we were in. And, of course, we're particularly delighted. Well, not of course, because you don't know our parents. But uh, <laughs> my father was a music teacher. They met in the chorus of a musical in college at Knox College in Illinois. Um Galesburg, Illinois, um, Evansville, Indiana. I grew up in Indiana, Southern Indiana. There you go. Yeah, well, we were, you know, I was born in Detroit and Gross you know point. spent several years in Ohio. So we're all we got that whole Midwestern thing. Going we out. do, we do. Um, but our parents obviously very uh, supportive of of our uh, forays into uh, the performing arts, and we all uh, well, my brother and sister both played instruments. I, I was I never my hands didn't connect to my brain very well uh, uh, in terms of that. But, uh, you know, we were all singing and, and, and sometimes uh, performing in plays and this and that. And They were very supportive of that or, or whatever, or whatever sports thing I was doing or, uh, you know, whatever academic thing. My sister just retired uh, as a professor at the University of Washington. Um, she inherited that the, the teacher gene from my father. My brother inherited all of the above, you know, the, the, the performing artist and the teaching aspect. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so. That's a, a long-winded version of no. saying yes. Parents were incredibly <laughs> supportive and loving and uh, an understanding of, uh, you know, what a career, uh, any career, but uh, especially a career in the performing arts that, you know, it's going to take it a while to, to get off the ground, probably.
1: I remember my, my I went to uh, Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I think Dan Fogelberg sang about it. Um, but I remember them coming to see me in a play and they took me to Denny's because, you know, we're a classy family and we sat there and uh i said i'm gonna be an actor and my dad looked at me and i never forget he goes eat your steak (laughs) i never forget it that's what he said i don't think anybody believed in me to do something like that and I, i don't blame them i don't blame people for going look i small town i wasn't popular i was the shortest kid in school I didn't know who I was. I was just out there. And um, if anybody would have, you would have asked them what I would have done. They never would have thought I would have become a successful actor in Hollywood. Was there something, because for me, I've talked about it, but I I did a play in high school. And I remember the popular kids in the hallway the next day saying, hey, you were funny, who never talked to me. And I said, oh, not being me. I've talked about this. Then that's the way I'll do it. And was there something that you remember a moment of, Validation or applause that made you feel like I'm doing something right.
3: Well, there were hundreds, really. I mean, I mean, you know, along the way, go, going back to you know my classmates, you know, my my teammates from the from the football team in eighth grade, laughing when Kyle Lafferty and I played Tweedle and Tweedle Dee <laughs> in Alice in Foodland. <laughs> um, and uh, and then and then I think the same year, the next year, I played uh, I played Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream uh, in actually not a Midsummer Night's Dream, all the Tinker scenes from a Midsummer Night's Dream, Pyramus and Thisbe, for those of you Shakespearean scholars out there. Um, and, and just kind of, it was, it was a great, uh, coming together of, of different, uh, aspects of, of society, you know, in, in my junior high and high school, you know, in those days in the, you know, late sixties, early seventies, it was like, you know, there were the jocks, there were the hippies, the geeks, there were the, the brainiacs, the geeks, you know, there were the theater nerds, you know, there were these little cliques and they really didn't overlap. You know, you couldn't be a jock and a hippie. And, and, and I was struggling with that because I was feeling, I was sort of pulled by, by a variety of, of different little micro societies there. And that was one of the few times where I felt like, uh, you know, not that I was consciously attempting to do that, but, but those those little groups kind of intermingled and and there was a a a commonality there that that was uh uncommon
1: right i mean it's just you know you you your one of your first roles you did like all my children right like you i know you don't talk about that a lot but like i always find these soap operas people go oh it's a soap opera but the amount of dialogue these folks have to learn and
3: oh it was terrifying
1: I, 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 could, I couldn't do it. When I say that, I really, I could not do that. I, I, would, I would explode. How did you, what were your, what was your preparation like trying to do something like that?
3: Well, I, I was very, very nervous. I think my first time on All My Children, I played a couple of different characters on that a few years apart. My first time I played a Canadian Mountie <laughs> and Erica Kane, for those of you who are familiar with, Susan Lucci's character oh, yes. for a thousand years on that show <laughs> was, was stranded on cobbler's Island somewhere in the great white North. And I was a Canadian Mountie, not like, you know, uh, Nelson, Eddy, uh, uh not wearing the, the the red outfit, but you know, in the office. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and, yeah. and I did my first episode, learn my lines and, and, you know, she had more lines than I did. So, so it was just a question of not screwing up and, uh, you know, hitting your mark and, and just, trying to be there and trying not to hyperventilate and, and, you know, all the experience doing theater all those years and having those opening night jitters uh, helped, I think, prepare me for that. Um, the writing of course is not exactly, you know, Shakespeare or Arthur Miller, but, um, but I, you know, I felt like I, I pulled it off. I acquitted myself. Okay. I didn't soil my pants. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, fall off my chair and, and it was fine. And then and I was called back. I was living with my aunt and uncle at the time off and on between uh, their house in Westchester where my five cousins grew up or, you know, couch surfing in Hell's Kitchen. And um, and my my recurring line in my three or four episodes that I ended up doing was we can't get out to Cobbler's Island to rescue Erica Kane because it's fogged in. So I must have said 13 different times. Did you tell him about the fog? And. <laughs> And I, of course, my brilliant actor brain realized after I had done my first episode, when I went back to do my second. Oh, wait, I'm Canadian, eh? So I need to say, did you tell him about the fog? And so so this character that I was playing between the first episode and the second episode, which were probably a few episodes apart, you know, in the grand scheme. uh, I'm guessing some of the diehard, all my children fans kind of wondered, wait a minute, uh, is this guy... It's the same guy, right? Why does he sound like a completely different human?
1: Knowing you, you probably did really a lot of research with that uh, with that dialogue yeah, or whatever. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I was, of course, we didn't have computers at the time, so I, I was at the library reading about the RCMP. Yeah. <laughs> what year did you do *A Few Good Men* on Broadway? Nineteen ninety. That was uh, technically my second Broadway show. The first one was a little flop musical and i joined the cast of a few good men they'd been running for several months and i uh i got hired to be the new understudy for the colonel and the doctor which is a character who's not in the movie so people won't know who that is
1: now this is before the movie
3: right well before the movie it was i mean aaron sorkin was just some kid from scarsdale who got lucky and had a play on broadway and you know i mean not lucky happened to be a genius writer but you know nobody knew who he was uh and uh, and you know, aside from the, the couple of movie and TV actors that they had headlining both the original and then and then the replacements. When I when I uh, joined, it was Brad Whitford in the Tom Cruise role. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the the rest of the cast, uh, uh, Ron Perlman was playing the colonel that I, um, whom I understudied. The rest of the cast were, you know, relatively unknown New York theater guys.
1: You know, I is this is this true? that aaron sorkin heard that you were going up because you were the understudy and that you were going on to play colonel jessup and he raced to the theater when he heard you were going on and he was just to this day he said he was blown away by this powerful performance and and is it one of your favorite performances that you've done in your career that you can recall
3: it absolutely is um honestly if i had to choose the one moment that that uh uh that was the most profound and meaningful to me uh, uh, as an actor it was it was those four or five uh, performances that i got to go on for ron who was incredibly generous and 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 brad and and the whole rest of the cast who were so welcoming and opening and wonderful and then and then yeah the highlight of that being that that aaron came uh to see the show and i don't recall if it was my my first performance i guess it probably was um and uh and he uh, uh, that interaction is 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 one of the the, the most fulfilling uh, uh, moments of, of my career as an actor, because I, I, I his acknowledgement that I had fulfilled what he put on the page was was, uh, you know, all, all I've ever strived for as an actor.
1: Inside is brought to you by Neurohacker. Qualia Synalytic I've been using This stuff Ryan For focus uh, I just feel better A sense of well-being If you want to help Resist aging At the cellular level You got to try Qualia Synalytic. Um, Have you heard About Synalytics, Ryan? Uh,
2: I have a little bit But why don't you tell me
1: about it's it? It's a class of ingredients Discovered less than 10 years ago And they're being called One of the biggest Discoveries of our time For helping to promote
2: Healthy aging And helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why we use qualia synolytic. If someone would have told me that there are science-backed ingredients that
1: could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I you know I wouldn't have believed it. And then I tried qualia synolytic. And just to let you guys know I was trying this stuff before they became a sponsor, and I've said this before, but it's important to know because I loved this product before they were uh, our sponsor, and I felt like it was working for me. I felt like I had a focus. I just felt my memory, everything, uh, sense of well-being. I just felt better, and um, I know people, listeners that have come up to me saying how much it works for them, and... I like that. I like that it's, it's not just me that notices the effects, but everyone else around me. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with the middle-age feeling, also known as zombie cells, They are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. It's kind of like pruning and the yellowing uh, of, of dead leaves off a plant. Qualia senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And you get a 100-day money-back guarantee. Um, Like I said, my energy levels are up. I feel younger when I take it. I feel more focused. Less aches and pains, and Lord knows I have those. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualius Analytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about BetterHelp, and it has helped a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family, and uh, it's just so important. I, I find therapy to be so helpful in so many different ways. A lot of us wish we had more time, but time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Therapy can help everyone be the best they can be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. All I want this is how selfish I am and childlike is I'm, I'm first of all, I'm upset that I couldn't, I didn't see that performance because knowing you in movies like whiplash and, and shows Oz and all these great performances you've done. I, I, I can only imagine you saying you can't handle the truth and God, would I pay for you to be that intense, get back to that moment from 32 years ago and just say, you can't handle the truth. I I would die to see that, did you, do you think when you watched Jack Nicholson do it, did you think I was right
3: up there with him? <laughs> it was, I, I, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Those of us who did the play saw the movie uh, as wonderful as it was. Uh, and, and were like, the play was better. Um, wow. In, 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 in many ways. And, and, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to say, you know, that's the beauty of a part of the beauty of, of what we do. I mean, people like to hand out trophies and awards for the best actor and the best this and that. But you know, the reality is it's about as apples and oranges as as you can be. Jack Nicholson, you know, when I played that part, I was 35 years old. That was what the character was that Aaron wrote in the play. Right. Right. He was not a fat cat who was uh, you know, sitting on his throne. I don't know how old Jack was when he did it, but he was, you know, the character because he was the guy playing it. I mean, because he was the guy playing it, he was it was brilliant. But it was a different character too, because he was an older guy. The character, as written, is a guy who's he's on his way to the White House, you know, or he's at the very least going to be Secretary of Defense, right? Or you know, a senator. I mean, he he's he's a guy who's who's on his way somewhere, not a guy who's you know who's settled in to to this is you know I'm the king of this domain and that's it. So that to me was the fundamental difference uh, between. Between those characters. How do or you those versions of that character? Right. How do you um you
1: I look at you and you have a great childhood and you're a great husband and father? I assume I'm not your ch- children. Uh, <laughs> but how do you find that place and where do you go to when you snap, when you become that guy in whiplash, when you become Jessup, when you become, when that moment comes, how do you go into that dark place? And did you ever experience such darkness that that helped you with that moment or those moments?
3: You know, I, I honestly, I think however, you know, easy and, and, and privileged and, and, and full of love, you know, your childhood and and your life is, we all have difficulties. We all have disappointments. We all have things that, you know, break our hearts or piss us off. You know, we all have things uh, that we're, you know, uh, uh, an anger, I think, that we carry around to some extent. The the um, the common thread, and people shake their heads at this, but between those three characters that you mentioned, and and what is what is to me so important as an actor, almost always is that for for Lieutenant Colonel Nathan Jessup in A Few Good Men, uh, for Fletcher in Whiplash, uh, for Vern Schillinger in Oz. Those incredibly, deeply angry, powerful men with their powerful emotions, it all comes out of love. However twisted that love may be, <laughs> you know, in Vern Schillinger's place, it's like, boy, I love me some white people. You know, I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that's the way he views his, right. his, his philosophy, his worldview, you know, yeah. not, not that I hate this, that I love that. You know, uh, in in Colonel Jessup's play, so brilliantly, brilliantly written, you know, unit, core, God, country. That's what he loves in that order. And that's what motivates everything he does, including, you know, the illegal, you know, uh, dangerous, you know, horrible, immoral stuff and the justification for it. It, It's it's always, you know, uh, uh, Fletcher loves jazz so much. And is seeking perfection every second of his waking life. That when anybody or anything gets in the way of that, you know, his love for that, then they're going to, by God, hear about it.
1: Have you ever really snapped like one of these characters in real life? Have
3: you ever lost your mind? Uh, I, a few times, mostly when I'm in the car by myself on the 101. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh a very few times at work and not, not quite to that extent, not, you know, not throwing any of those, you know, on set rants, Tantrums, right, rampages right, right. that we unfortunately have seen on video <laughs> of whoever. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean, I've uh, and it's usually it's usually comes from a place of either, uh, uh, you know, what I in the moment see as some kind of artistic integrity that is being compromised or, or, or just a, a, a personal, um, uh, uh, you know, just, just meanness or unkindness coming from, you know, somebody in power, whether it's a director or producer or, or whatever it may be. And, and those, those are the, you know, the handful of times, uh, uh, that I, that I, you know, have, have, raised my voice and, and said things that I, that I, I look back and, and, you know, wish that I'd maintained my composure a little better. Fortunately, as far as I know, there were, there were no cameras rolling uh, during those times. Um, <laughs> yeah. There there may be audio recordings out there. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. There, there are times in, you know, in, in real life when I was, when I was whatever, you know, heartbroken or betrayed or or whatever when i was uh uh, you know lost control um yeah fortunately uh, there's there's uh the the person that i was born to be and the person that my parents raised you know i uh, i never i never lost it enough to uh to take it out on somebody in a in a way that was you know that, that uh that you couldn't take back right
1: you know i would, quickly i just think of my father's voice when he snapped when his when he was angry and that's where i can channel it because it was the most terrifying thing i'd rather him do anything but yell at me like it, it would go from like you know he was just a big guy and that's just like when he got mad he'd be like you know it would go from i'm not going to tell you again from there to what did i you know just he would get so enraged and i be like oh Oh, and you know, that's sort of how I channel that whenever I have to flip out. Um, riplash, quickly. Um, I there's few roles, not not many roles that I've seen where I say, not that I, I can't do it, but how did how did he do that? How like it seems almost impossible. Like the role you played, the the dialogue, the snappy, you know, the the turning on a dime, emotions changing, boom, 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 beep, beep, beep. It was it's not just to me the best performance of the year that you won the Oscar, but and I'm not kissing your ass. It's just a fact that I know a lot of actors, most actors would say it was one of the best performances I've ever seen in anything I've ever seen. And I just I mean, what was your work ethic to prepare this?
3: Well, I, I've been preparing for that my whole life. You know, when I first met Damien, Jason Reichman sent me the script for the short and the feature film of this thing called Whiplash by this kid nobody had ever heard of. I have, uh, uh, by this time, I'm in that position where we're like, I'm not auditioning, quote unquote, but we're going to, we're going to go meet, right? We're going to have lunch. I'm going to meet this Damien Chazelle. Now, first of all, I read this script and it it is, you know, up there with, you know, a few good men, Juno, it's up there with the most brilliant things I've, I've ever read and potentially had the opportunity to be a part of, including shakespeare and everything else i did over the years so i want to do it and this is we're having a meeting to to spend a three-day weekend making a short film for which everybody's going to get paid 173 dollars but it, it, none of that matters because it's sheer brilliance you know and i and i want to be a part of it we we set up a meeting to at the old daily grill which no longer exists we're on gonna, the top yeah. floor yeah of course we're gonna have lunch there and i have this image of damien chazelle it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant script, obviously written by somebody who has a, an inside understanding of jazz music and what it is. Jazz music, a quintessential American art form, particularly African-American art form. And I, I hear the name Damien Chazelle, and I'm going to this meeting and I'm looking for Antoine Fuqua, <laughs> right? I'm looking for some big, tall, impressive black guy with a, you know, beret or something. That's that's my impression of who Damien Chazelle must be having written this, you know, and and I'm I get to the Daily Grill like right on time and I'm looking around and I don't see (laughs) Antoine Fuqua. (laughs) And and then this, you know, this skinny little kid from Jersey, you know, kind of raises his hand and go, J.K. And I go, oh, wow. okay, Hi, Damien Chazelle. How are you? we sit down you know we start doing the mutual admiration thing and one of the first things he says is i want to i want to take the onus off of you as far as the technical aspects of this character because i want you know i want you as the actor okay if you you know we'll have a technical advisor we'll have a body double who can do the conducting in the long shots you know he said D- don't worry about those aspects of it and i looked at him i'm sure a little bit oddly and i said dude i I went to music school. I, I have a degree in music. I thought I was going to be a composer and conductor. Oh my God. And my father was a choir conductor, you know, his entire career. I said that that, that that's, you know, and, and, and he was like, you know, there's, there's some kismet going on here. That's amazing. He also wrote it uh, with Miles Teller in mind. He didn't write it for me. He just, when, when Jason suggested me, he, he went, Oh, that's a great idea. Um, he wrote it with Miles in mind, not knowing that Miles had been playing drums in cheesy rock bands, you know, ever since he was in eighth grade. So, I mean, it, the the combination of, of wow. uh, uh, you know a lifetime of of preparedness that brought the three of us together on on that project was, uh, you know, it really was one of those just just meant to be.
1: Were you tough to work with on that particular role? Were you? were you method were you like i want to be this guy i want everybody around me to be intimidated uh, or were you just jovial and happy jk simmons
3: dude we were we had so much fun on that shoot God. i mean you, you 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 had to because we were you know we shot that whole thing in like 17 days oh, I mean, my. it was insane the budget and 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 the and the compression of time that that created and fortunately damien's brilliance and 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 uh uh you know, everybody who came together on that to make it work. But I mean, you know, we're, we're shooting those, those kind of crazy, stupid 15, 16 hour days on that movie. And, and Miles, who, as we now know, you know, is an alpha, right. Is playing that, that, you know, meek character. Um, I'm playing the, you know, the character that I played. Damien is this young filmmaker who, who actually between the short, film and the feature the short film which was with johnny simmons in in the miles teller part by the way who was brilliant in a in a very different way than miles was brilliant um but but the three of us on the feature uh uh, you know just just had a great time just were you know and 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 damien gave us the freedom as brilliant as the words were on the page uh, Damien gave us the freedom to just go off, you know, and, and improvise and, and, and do our thing. And, uh, and the combination of the, of the, the brilliance and the structure that, that he provided, but allowing for, you know, us, the self-expression that, that we both wanted to bring. Um, I mean, it was, it was magic in a bottle. And then in between takes, we would we just immediately dropped it and miles wow. miles would go into the yeah you know i'm not really a pussy uh, you know? <laughs> and uh, and we would you know it was a very different oh my uh, a God. Very different like fun vibe on set
1: well we started a little late i'm gonna get your brother out here and talk yeah. about really important shit here in a minute but i just want to ask a few more quick questions um when you went up for your oscar speech was there part of you that was thinking it's about effing time or was there <laughs> because you're so humble everybody's so sweet and nice when they get these speeches and your message of the call your mom and call your mom call your mom it was just I mean it resonated but I mean were you kind of like did you feel like I've always felt like I didn't belong like I don't belong here I don't belong in Hollywood did you did you feel ever feel like I don't really belong here I don't really belong with this or you know what was your oh. feelings when you went up on stage
3: no, I, 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 still feel like I don't belong. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't, there was, there was no, you know, it's about time th- th- that ever entered my mind and, and I've had a complicated relationship going back to childhood with the whole concept of awards for, you know, artistic endeavors and, and, uh, you know, that that's a whole different podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, it was basically everybody that I knew who, who, really understands the ins and outs of, of awards season and all of that. I mean, everybody said, dude, there's no way it's not going to be you. So there was, and I had won every trophy, you know, two trophies a week in the, in the two months leading up to that. So it was, you know, it was, it was like, if they, if they say, and the Oscar goes to, and they don't say my name, I'm a schmuck, you know, because, <laughs> because that's, that's the expectation, right. you know? Um, so it was, uh, uh, you know, it was almost a relief when, when they did say it and then, and then, as had been my want that, that whole award season, you know, I, I never wrote quote unquote, wrote a speech. I didn't know exactly what I was going to say. All I knew was the the theme, you know, what I wanted to focus on, which, which in that case was, was, you know, what's really important, which is family. And yeah. Uh, started out talking about my, my wife and, and thanking her for, for everything that she is. And, and there are kids who were in the, in the balcony and, uh, And then their relationship, you know, her being such an extraordinary mother, which led me to talk about, uh, you know, my mom, our moms, everybody's mom and dad. And, you know, that how important those all those relationships are. And it was really, uh, you know, maybe the most rewarding aspect of my career. That was certainly the biggest audience I was ever in front of. You know, Uh, I mean, you know, (laughs) a hundred times more people saw the Oscars than saw Whiplash. Wow. So you know, yeah. I, was, I was reaching this broad audience, and and uh, and the feedback that I got from that—I mean, from from comical to uh, to like deeply moving uh, to life-altering interactions that people had with their parents as a result of some, you know, journeyman bald character actor telling them to call their mom and dad. You know, it was, <laughs> it, was uh, it was amazing.
1: Would you do another Spider-Man if Sam Raimi approached you?
3: Absolutely. Did you love it? I would more- do anything that Sam Raimi approached me with.
1: You loved working with him that okay. much. I mean, I mean <laughs> Almost anything. <laughs> Almost anything. Uh this I mean, I could talk to you for ages. I mean, you're just like you're incredible. You're so open. And and we're gonna get a little more open now. I'm gonna bring on your brother. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. Boy, Ryan, have we talked about Rocket Money a lot. We sure have. Well, it's something that it's easy to talk about because it's saving everyone, including myself and you, money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had about um, 15 subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for 20 subscriptions each month. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never-ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. In fact, I had this trial period for something that I was consider using. Mm-hmm. And then you go in there, and you realize, oh, Add-ons are $4.99, or this is $3.99. And then you want to give it a shot. So you kind of add these add-ons, which add a hell of a lot to what you're originally spending. And then you forget about it for like three months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're like, what am I doing? This this should be against the law. But the closest thing you could do. Uh, Then to fight these claims is have Rocket Money do it for you. Uh, With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps.
2: Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you.
1: And I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll even help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. This is what I need. I need people like this in my life. I need apps like this in my
2: life. I need rocket money in my life, Ryan.
4: Howdy, howdy.
1: How are you, David Simmons?
3: I am fabulous. Well, Hello, my looks fabulous Looks like me brother. with even less hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who's older? Uh, depends I'm, on I'm the, the day, big bro. You're the big bro, David. Was he a good big bro?
3: He was an excellent
4: big brother. He, my favorite big brother story, is he watched me sleep through a fire in our shared bedroom in Worthington, Ohio, <laughs> as he and our mutual <laughs> father were beating at it with like wet towels and things, and. Smoke was clearing and they look over
3: and there I am.
1: Oh, my God. Sleep he, was a,
3: he was a sound sleeper. Yes.
1: <laughs> look, David, you're the executive director of the UBU project. I mean, you have an awesome musical career. You've been in 50, mm-hmm. all 50 states across the world. Honors graduate at the University of Montana School of Music, another school of music with your brother uh actor director teacher artist I mean it goes on mental health advocate is the most important probably and keynote speaker that I that I believe especially for this podcast and for the Absolutely. world listening I mean and by the way you, you performed with Ario Speedwagon that was I mean
3: I did I did that was cool
4: that was of and he, there's a cool and even cooler thing is my very dear friend uh Walt Verson was their road manager at the time lots of long stories as to how we met but I had written and recorded a little demo of a song. He played it for them. God. They show up in the dressing room of a show I'm doing. I get a text, David, come meet us at the stage door. I walk there, not quite ready to go on stage. And there I meet my high school heroes in my T-shirt and shorts. <laughs> Hi, heroes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they have learned a song I wrote. So we played what? that. At a- yeah, yeah. So we played that at a, an after-show cabaret, which usually has 10 people there. 100 people are there. And, you know, they're going nuts. But, you know, the sh- it's a good song. And uh crowd's going nuts. And I'm looking at the guys. And, the, you know, they're smiling. I said, you want to do another one? And the bass player, like a kid in a candy store, can we do Mustang Sally? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, we can. Choose a key. <laughs> Somebody count to four. (laughs) It it was, it was an awesome experience.
1: What's your favorite really quick. REO Speedwagon song, the both of you Uh,
4: for me riding a storm out without question. Yeah. I mean, I I I, I'm, I'm not going to
1: argue. Is it weird that mine's heard it from a friend who (laughs) heard it from a friend
3: (laughs) (laughs) ballad, pushy.
4: (laughs) I am. You know me. I swear to God. That's just another stalker song. That's right up with, uh, Every step, you take. every step you take yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
1: know what's funny is i had steve lukather on the podcast who's the, obviously the, one of the best guitarists in the world from toto oh, absolutely and he said the same thing jk i said oh i just love um you know that song some people live their dreams he goes oh you're such a pussy you like these love ballads." <laughs> he said the same thing but i do <laughs> all right on to important things all right um you know the UBU project is just—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's stunning, and you know, thank you. David, you're—you're—you're you're, you're a survivor. I mean, you—you've you've hit rock bottom. You know what it's like. You've been there, so there's no better person to sort of head this mission than you. And I just think it's wonderful. Why don't you just tell me a little bit something about you know about the project and what you're doing?
4: Well, uh, very quickly. What, and yes, thank you. Uh, being a, a suicide attempt survivor, thriving survivor, as I, I refer to myself, is a very powerful thing. Uh, March 31st, 2009, I thought the world didn't need me anymore, and God and a bunch of doctors thought otherwise. And, you know, seven and a half weeks on a psych ward, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to 2016 or 17, JK is is helping me put together a new CD of music I've been writing, and I'm driving across the Phoenix Valley, and I hear uh, on the radio in an interview with the statistic that the leading cause of death for youth ages 10 to 14 in the state of Arizona was suicide. Unreal. And I was I was galvanized. I thought, OK, I'm I am a, a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a teacher. I've done all these amazing things. And more important, I'm a survivor. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I got bullied, you know, blah, blah, blah. What does this all look like together? And so I thought about it for a while, kept recording the album. J.K. sang on it. And then uh, J.K. and I and my friend Walt, who was the road manager of Ario Speedwagon. I don't believe in coincidence, but we all happen to be in L.A., uh, when jk was filming counterpart oh. and so we're hanging out in his trailer and we're talking about this thing and he and walt went well of course you need to do this and you know what are we going to call it and we came up with this name and that name and the the phrase ubu had been a part of my professional life before and i thought about and i said what do you think ubu project and they went yeah and so what I did was was based on a model that our mutual mother used to do a lot. She was the head of uh, arts in the schools for the Montana Arts Council. And she would send, you know, theater companies or a poet or a jazz musician, you know, all of these, you know, top tier people who just got tired of the rat race and wow, paid vacation in Montana, you bet. And I created this one week residency model where I go in on a Monday, I talk to the kids, depending on the school I'm working with. Sometimes I tell a little bit of my story about uh, suicide survival and all that stuff. Sometimes I don't, it depends on what the school wants to do. And for a week we have this ongoing conversation about what hope and resilience and self-compassion and empathy mean to the kids. I never define it once for them. And at the end of the week, the whole time, and this is all wrapped in the guise of, they think they're in a songwriting uh, workshop, which they are, but it's a parlor trick because they've chosen one of those four words. I call them treasure chest words. They've chosen one of those four words as the main topic of their song. And by Friday, they've written a song. Sometimes it's just a chorus and a verse. Maybe a couple of verses and a bridge are thrown in there. But two of my favorite stories are there was a bunch of fifth graders. Reminder, these kids are 10 years old. They're writing a song about hope. And I use, uh, this makes me sound a lot more educated than I am. (laughs) I use Shakespeare's sonnet structure as my songwriting structure because it's easy um you know four sentences you know four lines in any verse 10 syllables per line there's a rhyme scheme the kids have a framework to hang their creativity and so I say okay all right we're talking about hope and this that da, da, da. what's a good you know opening sentence what's a what's the opening line of our song that is just going to make the audience you know oh my God I need to hear more and this one girl raised her hand and I could see by her face she had lived a lot more in 10 years than I had in 60 and she said I hope that I get over my depression and I said, okay, I understand that. I live with, you know, depression, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. anxiety. I, I work with a therapist all the time. Are you seeing someone? Yes, blah, blah, blah. I congratulate her, told her I was proud. I said, okay, great. Now, is it your depression? Does it define you? Or is it just something you have to deal with? And she thought for a second and she said, No, it doesn't define me. I said, Good, because your sentence is 11 syllables long and we need to get rid of one syllable what's one syllable that we can get rid of and she said let's get rid of my let's do wow. and so again room full of 10 year olds came up with and of course it's an 80s power ballad because that's the style they chose yeah, for it.
3: yeah.
4: <laughs> and they came up with i hope that i get over depression because it makes me not love myself yet that is definitely my conclusion that's why i need some time to have a rest 10 year olds are teaching me about life balance in the chorus they came up with shine as sort of the 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 go go-to thing shine hope shines light on compa- on depression shine hope shines giving me compassion shine hope takes away my obsession and then i'm going okay we need one more one more and this little kid like horse and welcome back cotter back in the 70s oh mr david mr david mr david what and you know i could see the words coming from his brain to out his mouth he goes hope shines light on depression like a diamond uh, dude wow 40 years of writing songs never once have i come up with a mic drop like that
1: i'm surprised jay-z didn't come up with just happens that. Wow. to be
4: on my new album that's coming out in a couple of weeks
1: <laughs> i mean it, it's amazing and you're pretty oh, much yeah. saying that music is saving lives absolutely that you know so the ubu project augments a school's existing curriculum with songwriting music to help students address difficult topics um you know, it's amazing because I've always dealt with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and I've hit lows. I haven't hit as low as obviously you have gone. Thank God. But man. I had those thoughts and then I said, whoa, mm-hmm. stop it, stop it. But, you know, tell me just a little bit about, were you depressed growing up? When did this sort of happen? When did it hit you? When were you aware of it? And JK, when were you aware that your brother was struggling?
4: Um, Probably when I slept through a fire in our bedroom. Um, but I, uh, that's a great question. I wasn't really aware of it because, you know, as JK will attest, as our sister will too, we had a great childhood. Parents, amazing, supportive, beautiful. We figured out while I was on the psych ward after my attempt in 2009, that there was something that happened in my childhood around age nine or 10 that my child brain couldn't deal with. And, yeah, and it could, you know, it can be anything as simple as, you know, a kid said something mean in a cafeteria to, you know, I got beat up by a family member. And it was neither of those two things because I never talk about the specifics. But my brain, you know, the incident happened here and my brain just kept spiraling the rest of my life. And so in the hospital, they died. They went through a variety of diagnoses and they finally landed on major depressive disorder recurrence. And I was already dealing with free floating anxiety and, and PTSD and they figured out, um, and JK remember my 50th birthday on the psych ward, super fun. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my great time. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> and our mutual sister, who's sort of the family historian, among other things had put together a you're 50 here's David Simmons. Here is your life scrapbook. Cause you know, we had been planning on celebrating my birthday. Not on the psych ward, but, you know, and, but while I was there and looking at that, at that, uh, at that scrapbook, you know, pictures from, you know, birth to almost death. And, uh, they figured out that I had been dealing with untreated major depressive disorder since I was 10. And it was just untreated, untreated therapist, therapist, never quite figuring it out, and then after my attempt and, and getting out of the hospital, and the arts, by the way, saved my life, literally. I mean, my you know, my brother was a huge part of it, because I remember um they called my wife at the time uh and said, What can we do for him? And and she said, just talk to him. And I remember one, I don't know if you remember this, Kim, one specific phone call where he called and it was an hour of him going, um I uh well, uh how about them tigers? <laughs> keep this guy some synapses firing and then a producer uh three months out of the psych ward hired me to do a national tour it was a small role and while I was on that tour he had also hired me to play Theodore Roosevelt in a one-person show and so on that tour I memorized a a one-hour script and it was that process that got new synapses firing and things like that so you know i look back to something as early as at my 50th birthday on the psych ward jk bought me a guitar and that was one of the tools i used as i was recovering on on the ward yeah and kept playing and i would do these tours that weren't guitar tours you know they were you know sort of traditional musical comedy which is great but i was all i would always have a guitar with me yeah you know, and then, you know, uh, like I said, 2017 or so I was galvanized to, I knew I had to do something. I had to take all my experiences, all my training, everything, and focus it on something that to this day, I haven't found another organization that does what we do. So a lot of great organizations out there, but
1: yeah, uh, it it amazes me. I, I think people don't think about, uh, not just themselves when they go through this and it's all mm-hmm. the horrors that I'm going through, but what weight it puts on family. So JK, oh. what was, were you shell shocked? Was it something that you had any inkling of like knowing that he was suffering or dealing with this stuff? What was, what were your emotions like?
3: Well, we uh you're talking about that 50th birthday in the psych ward. I mean that, you know, off and on over the years. And of course you look back, he's 10, I'm 14, you know, and, and, and we were, A lot of the time that we were growing up, you know, we were in very different circles. You know, we almost never went to the same school together until we were uh, because it took me forever to graduate college (laughs) until we ended up as as college class, uh, not classmates, but together at University of Montana. Um, So so, you know, I'm 14 years old. I'm this, uh, you know, I'm. Adolescent consumed with all the things that adolescents are consumed with, and my little brother is just my little brother. is just this little kid who's always been there, and you know, sometimes he's a pain in the ass, and sometimes we're having fun together. But uh, but he's you know, he's enough younger that that we're in diff- completely different like social spheres. You know, um, it's easy to look back now and and see, you know, that he that he has off and on been troubled and that there have been times when that's gotten the best of him as it does almost all of us, you know, at one time or another. And, and then, you know, some of this, some of the stuff he, he lived through as an adult, some of the, uh, the difficulties, the heartbreaks, the, uh, um, the problems that again, you know, in and of themselves, uh, are, are, I don't want to say unremarkable but but i mean you know we all go through shit right and um and and your proclivity your 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 mental health you know is affected uh to a different degree depending on uh, a variety of things obviously none of us even even during times of, of you know particularly sort of tempestuous times when there was concern about is david okay you know it it never occurred to any of us how not okay he was at that time, and uh, and when you have a family, you know, a, a birth family that's as as loving and as close knit as as we were with our parents, and and our parents who were also like the world's best grandparents. Uh, um, you know, David has a son. I have two kids. Our our sister has three kids, uh, and now multiple grandkids. Um, you know, for us all to be just completely. Gobsmacked by that, and and you know, having already made plans to go to Minnesota, and and celebrate his his fiftieth, you know, big milestone birthday, and then yeah, finding ourselves there with this with this shell of a human being, you know, who was uh uh, you know, I mean, you, you, something that I hadn't seen, uh, uh, you know, made made me made me understand and appreciate uh, some of the good work in Cuckoo's Nest more <laughs> okay. so because because you know. To look at your brother's eyes and and not see your brother um, was uh, uh, difficult and and uh, and sobering. And and uh, I think as is the case for a lot of people, when when someone you love is in that level of of. pain and difficulty you know you uh, we all tend to blame ourselves to some extent you know how, how did i not see that you know how you know how how am i so self-consumed that uh, uh, you know that i don't see the pain of those around me and and you know coming full circle that's one of the things that he's teaching now uh to these kids who just think they're having fun writing songs for a week you know Uh, You know, one of the tools he's he's giving them is that not only that that self empathy, um, but but, you know, the compassion. I mean, we joke about it, but it's but it's an absolutely true phrase to say that he's saving the world one kid at a time. And and every week that he's out there doing that, he's so, you know, that ripple effect, that butterfly effect is is kicking in. And uh, and he's having effect on the lives of people that he'll never meet.
1: That's beautiful. You know, I. uh I. David, a few minutes ago when you were talking about how you block, you have a tendency as a child to block out those really dark times somehow mm-hmm. to protect yourself. I think that's what the body does. I had an experience where, you know, I, I was in a situation where it was, it was uncomfortable I was, I was almost molested to the point where it was, it was a dark, scary story. I won't get you into that, but I, I escaped and I was supposed to be at my grandparents bungalow up upstate. Like I was a little boy and I was just like a few bungalows away. And, uh, I remember I had an hour and it would only been like 35 minutes, but I knew as a little boy, as an eight year old kid, maybe that I can't go into the bungalow to my grandparents right now. And because they can't see the way I am right now, cause I was so shook mm. somehow I knew and I, I had to gather myself and I remember sitting behind this tree for like 30 minutes to compose myself wow. and went in. And from that day I blocked that moment out for 20 years. And, um, I so I, I know what it's like to be a child who feels like they don't want to be shamed or it's their fault. And that's why I didn't tell anybody. And even though nothing really happened it still devastated me and I, and I and I and I didn't and I think a lot of kids deal with not only that you know bullying and molestation whatever it is um dysfunctional families and we block out a lot of stuff and it resurfaces when we get older and it's how we deal with it so you know it's um to be able to get kids at a young age to sort of be in touch with their feelings is not an easy task and it seems like through music you're able to at least break break the the surface or whatever, and and tap into a little bit to give them some comfort and kind of healing.
3: Well, and that's sorry, I'm I'm butting in here, but that that's the brilliance of of what David has uh, uh, has designated as the toolkit. You know, he's giving he gives these kids tools uh, to and uh, which again they think is is about you know songwriting. And it is. And they, and there have been some great songs that have <laughs> yeah, yeah. come out of it, uh, but you know, he's he's giving them the tools to to dig out of you know whatever hole it is that they're in, and uh, and and again, having that having that effect on on a, a number of kids on a weekly basis.
1: Didn't this didn't this organization, this foundation, sort of start? And and how many kids have joined? too. Isn't it like something astounding, like 7,000 kids now are part of a program or something? Tell me if I'm wrong.
4: Right. Um, it's, uh, it, it's not like a traditional arts program where I work with all these arts kids. Uh, our wheelhouse is you know Mrs. McGillicuddy's fourth grade classroom. And there may be a couple of artsy kids in there, but it's mostly creating common ground in a safe space so kids with no experience or lots of experience feel safe and comfortable creating all this stuff. Uh, we started in our hometown of Missoula, Montana in September of 2018. We're coming up on our fifth year. We have, in the classroom itself, one-on-one, you know, in the classroom with kids. That specifically, we're at about 5,000. But if you include all the virtual work we did during the uh, the pandemic, conferences, uh, and things like that, we're at about fifteen to 20,000 people who have experienced... You know some call it a toolkit i refer to it as a treasure chest because yeah. it's something the kids already have and i say, you know it's already there and you know i work with kids in juvenile detention a lot of them say i have no hope and i say yeah you do you just don't know where it is and we're going to try and find it I and very quickly nice. speaking of cool songs this is also on my new album <laughs> um the kids i worked with in juvenile detention wrote a tune called don't give up on life about resilience and one of the things i do all the spanish i know i have learned from my students. And so if I have a number of uh, bilingual students, I'll say, let's translate this, or what do you want to do? And so they came up with uh, the chorus they came up with was, and I also learned a new style called jalea, which is a kind of Mexican music. And the the chorus of their song was is, don't give up on life, everything will change. Don't give up on life, everything will change. En la vida no te rindas. Anything can be the light. If you push through and fight, don't give up on life. And then in the recording, I do my best, you
1: know, that is Carlos Santana. But yeah,
4: yeah. These are a bunch of kids. And I got a note from a kid. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps. You can't fake goosebumps. I got a note from a kid in juvie. Uh, His first name is Eddie. Uh, I can say that. And it was instead of, you know, one of the notes we got from a junior high kid was lately. I've been thinking of killing myself, but you teached me about hope
1: you know, what do you do with that?
4: But this kid wrote this long letter of dear Dave, Dave, because we're pals now, dear Dave, I've been thinking a lot about what you talked about. And I get it now. I understand hope. And my plan is 10 years from now, when I'm out of here, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove the people wrong who told me I'd end up in prison like my birth parents. I'm going to show up at their door with my wife and my kids and my job and say, I'm proving you wrong. I made something of myself. And I'm like, good Lord, you know, that's my Christmas bonus. This is an outlet.
1: This is another outlet that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. And I'm so happy and glad and, you know, just thankful that you came up with this idea and that you're working to help these children around the world with this, because I think it's something that's ignored. I didn't know these statistics. I didn't know 10 years old to 14 suicidal. How could it be that? It's just overwhelming so mm-hmm. first uh, lastly to let you guys go and i, I know you got to go mm-hmm. but the benefit is the ubu project to prevent you suicide addiction and bullying it's the second annual light your corner of the world with jk simmons and david simmons um the date is saturday january 28th it's coming up very soon so you you really need to go it's at 7 30 at the desert stages theater in scottsville uh at the fashion square you can go to www.desertstages Dot org it's spelled d-e-s-e-r-t because i would have spelled it dessert stages.org <laughs> uh 480-483-1664 um this is a beautiful thing we're going to post this we're going to get awareness out there um i love the both of you I, I i don't even know you but i feel like you know you guys are just remarkable human beings thanks for your stories thanks for uh just being you and um helping uh helping people. You know, that's it. Let me just
3: wedge in there that anybody that can't get to Scottsdale on January twenty eighth, you can just go to the uh, UBU project online and uh, find ways that that you can help.
1: Yeah, please go, please go. There's a lot of people listening, a lot of them that deal with mental, you know, you know, illnesses and 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 just you know, I know they're going to love this episode. This is just an important one. So thank you, J.K., thank you, David, thank you. and I, uh, uh, all my love to you both.
4: Thank you, Michael, and all my love to both of you, especially JK, and I'll see you in a couple weeks.
3: Love you, my brother. See you soon. (laughs) Love you. Bye, guys.
1: not only was it a great interview but a great cause yeah you know it's a it's a beautiful thing i I was stunned by yeah. that um that statistic that um the deaths in arizona ages 10 to 14 the number one cause was suicide
2: that's terrible
1: and uh yeah but hearing them guys these guys talk about it and i just think it's you know we think therapy you know i always promote better help therapy which is amazing and exercise and all these things and maybe seeing a psychiatrist and getting the right meds and all these things that you can do but then you start doing something which what they do this organization UBU, which is um it's a creative thing it's 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 getting someone who doesn't necessarily have to have any music background at all and learning how to be creative and 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 just writing lyrics and speaking from their heart and writing down and creating things that they didn't think they could create and um it's kind of exploded um like this organization and uh so it's just awesome jk and david thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh yeah that's about all i have to say about that um it's good he's a legend he's a legend what a get what a get great episode coming up next week too we've got a lot of great guests coming up this year and i hope people continue to tune in keep this podcast going. If not, I'll have to take down all these posters and make this into a bedroom or something. (laughs) It's not a podcast room anymore, but, uh, thanks for all the support and a big shout to all my patrons. Um, they really support this podcast. They Without them, I couldn't do it. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Become a patron today. There's top tiers. One of the tiers is I send you packages, gift packages every couple of months and a little note from me and there's uh, Q&As with me online. We do a private YouTube for all the patrons and there's a bunch of stuff there. So go to patreon.com slash inside of you. I'll message you as soon as I can thanking you and uh Yeah, we really need the patrons to to keep this thing going, so I I can't thank you guys enough. And without further ado, why don't we get into the top tier patrons, Ryan?
3: Okay. Should we do
1: that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Nancy, D, Leah. S. Sarah. V. Little. Lisa. U. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. H. Nico. P. Robert. C. B. Correct. Jason. (laughs) W. Sophie. M. Kristen. K. Raj. C. Joshua. D. Jennifer. N. Stacy. L. Jamal. F. Janelle. B. Kimberly. E. Mike. E. L. Don. Supremo. 99. Santiago. M. Chad. D. W. -w (laughs) Chad W. Leanne. (laughs) Uh, P. Janine. R. Maya. P. Maddie. S. Belinda. N. Chris.
2: N. T. O. Chris H Dave H Sheila G Brad D Ray
1: a- H H Harada. Tabitha T good good going here Tom N Liliana a Talia M Betsy R D I own I own Luther Corp that's a new one I, I own Luther one. Corp what's up Dan uh a s n yes and angel <laughs> m riannon c cory k dev nexon michelle also k a Damn. jeremy c brandy <laughs> r d d camille m s s joey i don't know m eugene n leah Corey, Heather, think famous actress. Heather, L. yes, Heather Locklear. Jake, think Busey. B. Correct. <laughs> Megan. Trainer. Megan T is correct. <laughs> Mel. Uh, C. S. S. Orlando. C. Caroline. R. Christine. S. Eric. H, Shane R. Emma R. Andrew
2: M. Zatuici. <laughs> 70. 70 uh, seven. 7. Wow.
1: Andreas. San N. Oh. Oracle. Karina. N. Amanda R. Jen B. Kevin, B, E, E. Stephanie K. Lena,
2: eighty-two. Oh. Billy,
1: S. Jammin. Just think, jammin, 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 jammin
2: J. Jammin, jammin, J. Leanne, huh. Leanne, J. Correct. Huh. Luna, O. R. R. Cindy, think cindy E. O- e.
1: Correct. Mike, E. F. Think F. Mike Flanagan. Stone like H Stone H Think Stone Hinge Stone Hinge Not Stone Brian L Cameron mm-hmm. E And Katie B you, you got like
2: 90% That was a lot Jesus Well a lot of them have been here for a long time Yes And, and you uh, got a you, lot you, There's, there's the a rhythm to it there's a, there's a music to it
1: Um, We love you We couldn't do this podcast without you I've said it before Thank you patrons Thank you everybody for listening Um, Ryan Yo from the Hollywood Hills in Hollywood, California, I'm Michael Rosenbaum. I'm Brian Taz. And a little wave to the camera. We love you guys. And remember, please, please, please be good to yourselves. That's the most important thing. Be good to yourself. I'll see you next week. Um, and even if you don't know the guest, I know you're going to come back and visit. All right. Take care.